The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Courtney Reagan, in for Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Nadine Turman. Tonight on Fast, we're trading the crypto chaos. Bitcoin bouncing back in a big way today following another weekend of wild moves. And the digital currency just took another big leg higher on the back of an Elon Musk tweet. What else? What he said that lit a new spark. Plus, we're tracking the after hours action in shares of Lordstown Motors, the stock plunging on the back of results. The company's call is underway. We'll bring you all the big headlines. And later, we're gearing up for a big week of retail earnings with a good old fashioned game of shop it or drop it. Find out which retail names our traders are adding to their cart. But we start with the big rally in big tech. The Nasdaq jumping 1.4% today, outpacing gains for the S&P and Dow and closing at its highest level in two weeks. The titans of tech were among the biggest winners of the day with Alphabet, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook and Amazon adding a combined $160 billion in market cap today. And while the strength was broad-based, not all stocks participated in the rally, that's for sure. Recent high flyers like Peloton and Snowflake were basically flat on the day. So let's talk about it all. What do you make of the action, Tim, in these high flyers again here today? Well, first of all, Courtney, welcome to Fast Money. Thank you. Always great to have you here. And, and Today, today, I think, as you said, uh, you know, big cap, mega cap tech names outperformed. Maybe the most important dynamic here, I think, for markets to move higher overall is that the semiconductors were really the leaders. And, and the market leadership from technology has come from semis. Uh, if you think back to the SMH, which is the ETF that, that essentially tracks the semiconductor index, it, it hit all-time highs in mid-February. It struggled to get through those highs. In fact, it had really been uh, under a lot of pressure in the pullback that we saw that really turned around early last week. But uh, back above the 50-day for the semis is a very important dynamic. And, and then, again, look, follow-through from, from the apples, which staved off uh, battling below that 200-moving-day average. So some of the technical support for the market that's come from mega-cap tech is very important. Uh, and then you've seen the broader participation, as you said. Uh, financials, retail, uh, even energy back in the game today. So a very, very important day. But again, to me, semiconductors and then the most you know, important companies like Apple uh, and Google asserting leadership again. Nadine, what do you make of the semiconductor trade and idea Tim's bringing up here? NVIDIA shares higher by 4% here, one of the leaders in the NASDAQ 100. I think Tim makes a great point as well. One of the things that we were looking at is the CFTC futures and options data People were slightly short uh, tech, but not very short tech, especially on a three-year basis, which is important to note. Um, and also, we're looking at implied volatility in the XLK, something like minus 12% implied volatility discount. So it means that you know people are 
somewhat protected, not very protected. They're not complacent. Um, so we actually look at a day like today as a great day to start layering on protection. So hmm. we're a little bit less bullish than what Tim says, but we do take into account what he's saying about the semis. And Karen, what do you make of a name like Peloton being kind of flat, sort of sitting out what was going on today, even with the news that they're opening this new plant in Ohio, so maybe those supply shortages they experienced during the pandemic could be somewhat alleviated. If we see another surge, you can get those bikes and treadmills a lot faster. Yeah, I, you know, for this one and some of the other high flyers that did find sort of a bid today, this one, though, you know, there's concerns about a, you know, a, when the world is open again, will there be a decline for Peloton demand, right? That's sort of been a story for a while. But to me, it comes down to valuation. It's still expensive. So this is one that even if you think the brand is enduring, which I think it is, I love my Peloton. I use it all the time. But valuation I can't quite get there. But to me, the thing that was sort of, I don't know, the most interesting today was, you know, we had some Fed, we had Lael Brainerd, and I, I, I'm not sure if it was Bostic or who the second one was, talking about inflation. Really, they really believe or telling the story of it being transitory. And if that's the case, then that argument for inflation, which I believe we are going to have inflation, but maybe not such bad inflation, means that if inflation is somewhat under control, then the Fed doesn't need to prematurely start addressing that. And so P.E. multiples stay higher, which is good. As to like, you know, Google, Facebook, I don't know why they were up today. I don't know why they were down last week, really, but I'm happy. I'm long them. I still think even nice rally today. But to me, those are still the value in the FANG names. I like it. If you don't know what, what was going on there, it makes me feel a little bit better, too, because, Karen, you know an awful lot. Dan, I want to get you in here quickly before we move on. What do you think? Inflation is the story. Is it semis that are the story? What do you make of the action in today's market? Well, inflation is the story that everyone wants to talk about. And I think these guys just mentioned all the Fed speak. You know, the Fed <clears throat> seems pretty consistent on the fact that they see a lot of the, um, the pressures as um, transitory. And I've been calling it, we're going to look back on 2021 and say this was the great transitory tantrum. This is the way we look back in 2013 <laughs> on the taper tantrum about the potential for rates going higher. I suspect that a lot of the inputs that a lot of companies are talking about as they relate to whether it be wages or whether it be kind of inputs to their products or services, that sort of thing, I think they'll kind of even out when we get to the other side of the pandemic here, you know, as it relates to valuations. And Karen just mentioned that if um, inflation is transitory, then we are likely to see rates stay, um, you know, maybe the Fed doesn't feel the need to raise rates, right, at that point. Um, and then the valuation really becomes a concern, but it brings you back to earnings. And these guys were talking about mega cap techs. We saw phenomenal earnings out of most of the mega cap tech names, and the stocks didn't rally. And we saw, um, you know, some of these names, Amazon and Apple never broke out. Alphabet, Microsoft, and Facebook came back to levels, and now they're back at their near highs here. Um, let's just be really clear. There's going to be some big tech earnings this week. We're going to get NVIDIA. We're going to get Workday. We're going to get Zscaler. Zscaler and Workday in particular were high valuation names that saw significant declines from their recent highs here. Um, NVIDIA, a little bit of a different story here, but I think those are the mo those are the main things to key on this week is earnings. That's what really should move the stock market. Obviously, interest rates and worries about inflation are important, but we're going to get some key data points in the sectors that really are moving the markets right now. Workday had a nice victory with Phil Mickelson over the weekend, too. Tim, I want to get back to you because you were nodding your head, I think, when Dan was talking about Facebook and some of these other big tech names. What else do you think is going on here in, in the market and what the Fed should or should not be doing if inflation is indeed transitory? 
Well, it, it, Dan, Dan has rightly been pointing out the, the transient tantrum, and uh, he's coining another phrase, as he likes to do here on Fast Money. <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, the, those are, look, the, the, the dynamics around whether the Fed is behind the curve or whether the Fed is just going to begin to uh, start to massage expectations are, are really irrelevant to the fact that um, this is about liquidity-driven market flows and, and also investor positioning. The last two to three weeks have taken a lot of froth out of the market. I'm not going to tell you that the market's uh, overall posture still doesn't remain you know, quite bullish. But if you look at measures of, of investor positioning, uh, I think we're at a more modest level. You've worked off a lot of overbought conditions. Look, I, he, he brought up Amazon. Great, great, great stock to bring up because, you know, if you look at Amazon, the 200 day is now downward sloping for the first time in a long time, barely. But again, a stock that's done nothing since last July and a stock that, that on some level should be showing some leadership for a sector that I think is still trying to figure it out. Um, ultimately, it comes down to uh, have we begun to normalize earnings? And therefore, you know, to me, that is a time I'd be more concerned about the dynamic where companies are, are telling you, OK, we're not at 70 percent of pre-COVID. We're at 100 percent of pre-COVID. Um, the, the wage pressures, the, the transportation pressures uh, and costs are things that worry me. I care a lot more about that the market now says, okay, uh, Mulligan is gone, to use the, the Mickelson term. Of course, mm -hmm. he didn't need too many of those over the weekend. <laughs> and, and I think that's what I should be most worried about as an investor. Normalized earnings are a place to actually fade some of this rally. And Nadine, I want to give you the last word here before we move on. You were nodding to a lot of Tim's points. So just an open question there to you. Uh, what do you want to follow up on? You know, I, I think Tim makes a good point on investor positioning. We look at that a lot because that tells you that as well as liquidity and, and money flows. Um, Where is the money coming from? Is there a continued appetite? We also know there's cash on the sidelines. Uh, but at the same time, you've seen that people are willing to trade tech down and you know we have to be really careful because they have to not just comp their comps but keep surprising to the upside and we saw this past quarter uh, a lot of the names mentioned here the reaction wasn't as positive as the earnings were printed so you have to be careful just looking at the printed earnings and saying gosh they're going to be up 30 percent 40 percent but it really has to wow investors at this point. Yeah, that's true. It seems expectations are just so, so high for so many of these companies, whether it's tech or even the area that I cover, like retail. You saw some pretty blowout numbers, and the reaction was kind of meh from the market. Well, the momentum trade is about to get a major makeover. As we've been talking about these momentum names, the iShares Momentum ETF, ticker is MTUM, is expected to rebalance within the coming days. And our next guest says the $16 billion ETF shakeup will put a new focus on value over tech. So here's an interesting one. Let's bring in Chris Harvey. He's head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Chris, we appreciate you being here. So tell us about what you anticipate happening with this shakeup and what that means, why it should matter to us. Well, maybe we'll go back to what some of the guests were saying. They're saying, hey, the reaction on tech was great. The earnings out of tech, it was great, but the stocks didn't do anything. One of the reasons why the stocks may not be doing anything is they're no longer the momentum trade. They're no longer the quote unquote, the chart looks good. And we're seeing quants move away from the space. We're seeing uh, momentum players move away from the space. And this rebalance, you're going to have tech go down from 40% of the index to about 17. And let's not forget the Russell is going to rebalance in another month. Tech may come placing it. You're seeing more cyclicals and value type stocks. Financials were south of 2% in the index. They're going to go to north of 30%. So now what momentum is, or what I should say is financials are the new mo trade. 
Do you do you feel like, Chris, that is the right sector to be focusing on as the new momentum trade as we're still in this very low interest rate environment? <laughs> well, what I think is if you're a momentum player, what you do is you pile into what works and you move away from what's working. So to answer the question technically, should people be moving into should momentum be moving? Yes. If we look at the fundamentals of financials, the fundamentals of financials are actually quite good. There were many macro headwinds in financials, and we can argue about where rates are going to go, but the curve is steepening, credit is tight, the consumer has a ton of money, they're ready, willing to able, able to spend, and M&A activity is beginning to tick up. And oh, by the way, even though financials have outperformed, relative valuation is still attractive because numbers continue to go higher. Chris Harvey, thank you very much for being here and for explaining this rotation to come. Chris Harvey of Wells Fargo. All right, team, what do you think? Uh, Tim, I'm going to start with you. What do you make of this uh, financials yep. being the big overweight in this momentum index? That's an interesting way to think about it. Well, it, it's it's fascinating. I mean, financials have been death. They've been grim death. They, you know, since the financial crisis, it, it took until really uh, the middle part, uh, actually towards November of last year, for us to get uh, into breakout into fresh highs. If you're measuring across the board, obviously a handful uh, when you consider the dilutive effects of the crisis, like Citibank, still well, well below. But um, Chris pointed out the definition for this index really is is about where there is momentum and where technically it's not about value or growth. It's about where there's momentum. Um, financials to the extent that uh, look, Fed dynamics are, are, if anything, they're going to be coming into play and maybe flattening out the yield curve. But uh, the reasons for the Fed at play is it not only a better economy, but obviously a steeper yield curve. Uh, the fact that the consumer credit issues are still very far away from people's minds, um, the provisions and some of the fundamentals behind why the big money set our banks, I think still have a lot of ammunition to surprise to the upside over the next couple of quarters, again, because they provisioned so hard in the early part of COVID while sales and trading uh, and investment banking and mortgage origination and all their core uh, kind of pillars of, of growth are uh, arguably not done as well ever in unison um, as they are doing right now. So the fundamentals to me make a lot of sense. It's tough to talk about banks in a momentum index, um, but here we are. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought, too. Uh, Karen, what do you think about them taking down consumer discretionary from 19 percent of the index to just over 10 percent and then healthcare also losing about 8 percent of its uh, percentage weighting in this momentum trade? I was actually surprised to see that healthcare weighting because, um, I mean, you know, I look at Big Cat Pharma a lot and that uh, hardly feels like it's, you know, knocked the cover off the ball where some of these things are trading. It's had a nice run in the last month or so, but that was sort of surprising me. I don't know if that's more in the biotech space or some of the, you know, like a Moderna, something like that, that have just gone nuts. So that one was sort of interesting. But I got to just say one thing that Tim said, the Please. idea of financials really being the, you know, <laughs> that's where the momentum is. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, I, I, I mean, I, I like financials for a while. Didn't work. Did work. Now it feels like it's kind of later to the party. I don't know. Maybe you can answer this question for me. What <laughs> constitutes momentum? I really don't know. I'm not sure. Is it a volume thing, a price move thing, or how much it moves over time? Yeah, Dan. I don't know, but I feel like some of that's already happened. Yeah, I was actually going to ask Chris if, if we had time to sneak in one more, if they were like a little late to the party with some of this and what momentum means, if we need to change the name of the ETF. Bring us home, Dan. What do you think? 
<laughs> okay. I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about a $14 billion ETF, um, you know, that, that is bit, probably built on some very quantitative models, and they're making purely qualitative um, adjustments based on the lack of momentum, the lack of upward momentum, you know what I mean, in some of the names. So they're taking tech down big. You know, that consumer discretionary, here's another one. Okay, you know what 40% of the consumer discretionary ETF is? It's Amazon and Tesla. Tesla's down 14% of the year and Amazon's unchanged. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think it's probably backward looking um, and I'd probably stick with the underperformers um, and rotate out of the, uh, the, the overperformers that they're putting into the thing. That's a good point and a good point on the consumer discretionary names with Amazon and Tesla making up such a big part of that. Well, coming up, we are all over the after hours move in Lordstown Motors, the company reporting results just moments ago. The analyst call is now underway, so buckle up for that trade ahead. Plus, the crypto coaster continues. It's wild ride. Bitcoin bouncing back in a big way today. Our own Bitcoin baller, Brian Kelly, is standing by to break down the wild moves. Stick with us. Fast Money back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Lordstown Motors. Shares hitting after-hours lows down almost 10% after reporting results. Let's get right over to Phil Lebeau for the details. Hi, Phil. What happened here? Courtney, it's not the numbers that were reported. Look, these guys are pre-revenue. They had a loss of 72 cents a share. There is nobody on Wall Street who's really focused on what they reported for last quarter. What they're focused on is the outlook and the guidance from the company. And this is a company that has thrown up some red flags in telling people, look, we are expecting higher operating costs to our 2021 production for the, you know, when it goes up at the end of the year will be half or less than the prior plan. Originally, they thought they could build 60,000 vehicles starting in the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter. They're now saying it'll be half or less of that. And most importantly, they will be needing to raise capital. Here is CEO Steve Burns. Our research indicates a very robust demand for our vehicles. However, capital may limit our ability to make as many vehicles as we would like. And as such, we are constantly evaluating our capital needs and the various types of capital available to us, including strategic capital. A couple of things to keep in mind. They're looking at either some type of an asset-backed loan, and they do have assets. They've got the facility there in Lordstown, Ohio. It has a stamping plant. They have no debt on their books. The other possibility, bringing on strategic investors. They have not said 
how much money they are looking to raise, but they have said that they will need to raise capital as they work on rolling out their first vehicle, which is the Endurance electric pickup truck. Again, production is expected to start by the end of September. That guidance hasn't changed. But Steve Burns, during the Q&A with analysts, was asked, why are they pushing this back in terms of the expectation of needing more money, not pushing back production, but needing more money? Here's what he had to say. Look, this is costing us more than we thought, but relative to, uh, you know, the conventional thinking, we're moving very quick and, uh, at a, you know, really doing this for, a, a, a ex, you know, a good good pricing. So we're very happy with it. We don't like that it's moving. Um, the, the target's moving a little bit, but we've taken the attitude of first to market is everything. In terms of the capital raise and when we might hear some news on that, they did say that the discussions with some of the possibilities are rather mature. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have an announcement within the next several weeks or the next month or so. But Steve Burns was pretty clear that as they are rolling out the endurance and getting the endurance up to speed in terms of production, they will need more money. And again, Courtney, that's the reason you see shares of Lordstown down, what, about 9 percent right now? Yeah, you got it, Phil. Thank you very much for filling us in on that and all the details from the call. Let's trade it. I mean, Nadine, I want to start with you. Production at 50 percent of prior expectations. And by the way, we need more capital. What do you make of this one? (laughs) Courtney, I think you know the answer. I think that was a rhetorical question. (laughs) (laughs) A little, right? Uh, In in something like, yeah, in something like this, uh, not to use a bad pun, but Ford is definitely putting a brakes on them. You know, we had two to one downside going into this print. Um, but you're also looking at you know, 28% short interest. For, so for viewers, don't go in here starting to short after this kind of news. But you have a problem here. You have Ford coming in at 40 grand versus their truck at 52. You have Ford saying, hey, we have 44.5 thousand reservations for F-150, the best-selling truck. So yes, maybe these guys come to market first, but somebody's already sold trucks. So uh, you have to be really careful in a name like this. But again, I wouldn't short it, but I wouldn't be holding it. Tim, you are just shaking your head. You're not liking this at all. <laughs> look, I mean, Nadine hit some important numbers. I mean, this is a disaster. Look, I mean, this is a guy who's saying, yeah, research says people, there's demand for our vehicles. No kidding. Um, Ford's going to have 50 percent of their entire fleet by the end of the decade is going to be EV. Um, 50 to 75 in cash and cash equivalent, equi- equivalents guided for end of 2021. I mean, that's a disaster for a company that's begging for cash right now and, and frankly, just burnt, you know, a couple hundred million in the last quarter. Um, I, you know, for, there's so much competition. There's so many uh, players that have, like the F-150 is the most popular vehicle in North America by far. Um, I, you know, and it's about to be an EV vehicle. And so it's it just, there's, there's a cash burn problem. There's a credibility problem. Oh, by the way, there's an SEC probe. Um, and it's a product that's not even close to getting on, on the road. I, I, you know, this, this has had a lot of euphoria and hype and dare I use last block's term, momentum behind <laughs> it. And, uh, you know, that's about all it had. Yeah, at this point, I think things are looking in the wrong direction right now. But we'll continue to follow it. Of course, it's an important and interesting story. But we're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The crypto craze continues as Bitcoin surges. And the Bitcoin baller is joining next to break down the moves. Plus, we'll meet you in the checkout line. A ton of big retailers are on deck to report earnings. So, are you shopping or dropping these names? We've got all that and more when Fast Money returns. 
podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Bitcoin soaring nearly 20% in today's session. The cryptocurrency was already up big, and then Elon Musk tweeted this, quote, spoke with North American Bitcoin miners. They committed to publish current and planned renewable usage and to ask miners worldwide to do so, potentially promising. That tweet sending Bitcoin even higher. And check out the wild moves since last Monday. Three double-digit drops during the past week. Bitcoin is still more than 40% below its highs, but one crypto pro is having a case of deja vu, and he thinks this recent volatility could be a precursor for a big bull run ahead. Joining us on the fast line is our very own Brian Kelly, sort of a Bitcoin master himself. Okay, BK, explain to us what's going on here. Well, what's going on is actually fairly normal for Bitcoin. It doesn't feel that way if this is kind of your first time getting into cryptocurrencies. But but this level of volatility is is very normal for Bitcoin. Secondarily, um, what I've been looking at is really what happened during the 2017 bull run, which we all remember fairly well. But if you recall, in July of 17, you saw China ban trading there. And then they again, in September of 17, they came out and they closed all the exchanges. Well, in July of 17, we had a sell-off just like we had this weekend because China banned mining at this time. And so it looks uncannily exactly like that pattern. And to me, if you look at it, the next part of this, next part of this is just a massive rally. In 17, Bitcoin rallied from 2,300 to 19,000 over the next six months. I just think it's funny that you can find patterns at all when it comes to cryptocurrency trading. But I think Dan has a question for you, BK. Hey, Beeks, I love your work. Um, so quick question, because it, it seems like there's a lot of focus on the Bitcoin here. You know, you got all these Finfluencers like uh, Elon getting everybody turned around. And it seems like we should just be focusing on the Ethereum and the Ethereum network. And prior to the sell off, we saw massive outperformance. We see so many interesting things going on being built on that network and protocols and the like. Why are we spending so much time on Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining when we know that Ethereum is going to be moving to this from this proof of work to proof of stake this summer? Isn't that what we should be focused on? That's a a fantastic observation and question, Dan, and I couldn't agree with you more. I could care less what Elon Musk thinks about Bitcoin and Bitcoin should care less about it. It's a decentralized currency. But where the excitement is right now is where Ethereum is concerned. They are changing their, their algorithm, so it is using about 99% electricity than Bitcoin. Uh, they are changing their monetary policy, so under circumstance, certain circumstances, 
you actually might get a deflationary currency. Uh, and then finally, almost all the DeFi is built on top of it. So there is a lot of activity on the Ethereum network. And you're right, it has outperformed Bitcoin at this point. That's not to say I don't love Bitcoin. I still do. But I think at this point in the cycle, Ethereum, if I had to choose between the two, Ethereum is probably uh, has got more upside to me than Bitcoin does. Hey, BK, it's Karen. Thanks for coming on. So uh, you've been in this game a long time. This kind of volatility seems a little different with the intraday moves being so big. I don't know. Is that because maybe it isn't happening? Maybe it just appears that way, but it isn't so. But does the retail investor and their, uh, you know, the Coinbase and the, the, I don't know, other retail investors that weren't in Bitcoin in the last (laughs) few cycles, are they part of what's happening here? Are they much quicker in and out? Or what's, what's causing these big gaps down and up? Within yeah, very so short time spans. Yeah, it's a, it's a good observation because we this was a pretty big sell-off. I mean, even when I talk about the one in 17, that was a, a 20% peak to trough. This was almost 50% uh, peak to trough. There's two things going on. One, you have a heck of a lot more leverage on the speculative front. Um, a lot of the Asian exchanges, you can get 100 to 1 leverage on futures. Um, that is has grown exponentially in the last couple of years. The second part is this kind of lending portion of the Bitcoin market where people are peer-to-peer lending and getting paid 7 8% a yield on that. But the thing is, is that that collateral automatically liquidates if Bitcoin falls down. So you've got a lot more leverage going in from both sides, from both the, the speculative traders as well as those people who are holding it but trying to get some yield. And that contributed to this big drop. At the same time, you had just a huge amount of volume come in when exchanges broke, basically. You couldn't log on. So you had no bids out there, everybody coming in to liquidate, and it really created this cascade of selling. Um, so it did exacerbate the volatility this time. But again, it's for selling. It's not a fundamental change. It's just for selling, in my view. Hey, so BK, two really important questions here. Um, the last two big sell-offs in crypto have taken place over the weekend. Does that have something to do with the fact that futures markets are generally closed and they're obviously used to hedge um, a lot of positioning? And then the other question, the, the Wall Street Journal had this big uh, article in Uniswap today, a decentralized um, token exchange here. Are we seeing a lot of activity um, on decentralized exchanges? Is that actually exasperating the volatility? Yeah, so the weekend phenomenon is, is fairly well known in Bitcoin. You often get a dip like on Saturday night. A lot of it has to do with the fiat rails, the, the, you know, the U.S. dollar, the banks are closed, right? So even if you want to add more money to it, you can't wire money in to buy Bitcoin, let's say to Coinbase or something like that. So the weekends tend to be a little bit more thin trading. It gets pushed around a bit more. On the decentralized exchanging, DeFi is just absolutely exploding. To me, that's the promise of crypto. It's the disintermediation of financial services. And you're seeing it in Uniswap. Um, you're seeing, you know, 40x growth over the last year in the volumes there. Uh, and that is where everything is kind of shifting to. Not to say that central, centralized exchanges won't have their role, uh, but, but DeFi and decentralized or what they call DEXs are definitely having their moment. And I think they're here to stay. Thank you, BK, for joining us here tonight. Tim, I want to get you in here real quick. What do you make of this trade? I mean, are you interested in trying to play these big weekend volatility moves, or is this something you want to stick away stick away from? Because, I mean, who the heck knows why these things are moving the well, way they're moving? First of all, when, when I hear 100 to 1 uh, leverage, I mean, it's shocking. <laughs> and, and we talked about last week how uh, Bank of America's 
fund manager survey put Bitcoin at a, at a very, very crowded trade. Um, in fact, one of the more crowded trades they'd ever seen. Um, so, I, I, you know, again, I think market positioning, uh, BK's talked about a history of volatility in an asset class that uh, I, I think largely expects this. And, and so um, Dan gets into the fundamentals and really the use case and the platform and, and even some of the, the evolving technology around Ethereum and that platform. I, I think that's very real. Uh, I think investors need to uh, be less concerned with FOMO and, and really understand where they want to make allocations for the long term. But no, trading weekend volatility, um, it's how you get your hands cut off. I think next time we need to have Karen's daughter in here. I uh, learned that she wanted to invo- invest her bat mitzvah bit money in Bitcoin, and uh, that was yeah. a big trade she could have made, Karen. That was, whoo, what a smart yeah. girl you've got Giant there. Giant mistake. Giant. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of FOMO, right? Okay, well, sticking with the crypto space, CNBC's first NFT is now up for grabs. We're honoring the Mark Haynes bottom, highlighting the day the late great CNBC anchor Mark Haynes said the S&P had hit a low during the depths of the financial crisis. It's really one of the best market calls ever. He, of course, died 10 years ago to the day. The auction is open until 10.30 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday. If you don't want to participate in the auction, we also have a set number of NFTs going at a fixed price. So this might be a good way to explore this new kind of investment that we've talked so much about. All proceeds go to Autism Speaks. It's a favorite charity of Mark's and the Council for Economic Education, which focuses on financial literacy. It's all up now at mintable.app slash CNBC. This is a carbon neutral event. We should say we are purchasing carbon offset credits from a firm called Aerial to make sure that we have no negative impact on the environment. So once again, go to mintable.app slash CNBC. Well, coming up, we're going shopping for opportunity. A bunch of big name retailers reporting results this week. Find out which stocks our traders are adding to their carts. Plus, investors going all in on DraftKings, the stock rallying in today's session. So is it time to place your bets on this trade? Don't go anywhere. Fast Money, back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's a big week for the retailers. A number of big names like Costco, Best Buy, Gap, and Capri reporting results in coming days. So we thought it'd be the perfect time for a little game of shop it or drop it. Let's kick things off with Gap. Karen, are you shopping or are you dropping it? I guess I would be much more of a shopper than a dropper. I think Gap has done a decent job of sort of getting some momentum using some of this time during the pandemic they closed i think it was 350 stores so rationalizing their store base um, was really important it's not a crazy valuation and i do think people come back to the office and gap will have you know jeans not i'm sorry khakis that everyone's going to need they don't want to be so formal but they can't be so casual just being in sweatpants like we've done for the last year so all that having been said I would be a shopper of a Gap. Shopper. Okay, Tim, how about you? Shopping or dropping Gap? Yeah, yeah. sorry, Karen, I'm dropping that. Uh, and, and uh, you know, again, a move from 6 to 36 is a function of oversold on the way down. Certainly, as we talk about, the restructuring that was forced by COVID certainly helps Gap a lot, right? They did a lot with a lot of those leases. They, they were forced to, to move into a digital framework. There are catalysts here, Banana Republic. Dan's going to be back in his khakis soon enough. Uh, and his Easy's. if you look at the sneakers, it's also a catalyst. I just think so much has been priced into a recovery story. I think the bar is very high for him here, dropping it. 
I like that they're giving us numbers about Athleta finally, which is a competitor to Lululemon. Next up, Best Buy. Nadine, are you shopping or dropping Best Buy? If they have a good quarter, I would definitely drop it. I mean, UBS, I think, came out with something recently showing it was a five-year high valuation versus the average. They've obviously did, done really, really well during the pandemic, but I think there's going to be a lot more out-of-home entertainment. People will spend less on products. Government, government stimulus will be softer by the fall. We have about, a, you know, call it one and a half to one downside versus upside, so I would drop this name. Yeah, it's made a decent run. Dan, what about you when it comes to Best Buy? Shopping it or dropping it? Yeah, I'm shopping this one here. And I think Nadine makes a lot of very good points. And, and you say it's had a decent run. Well, just of late, I mean, the stock, just like Amazon, has not made a whole heck of a lot of progress um, since last summer. It did briefly make a new 52-week uh, high earlier in the month here. But, you know, I suspect if this company puts up a good quarter and that guidance is better than people expect, because Nadine just laid out what the bear case is, um, maybe they realize some efficiencies. You know, most of these big box guys, I don't like this. This stock, she says, trades um, expensive to its history, trades expensive to its history. It's still very cheap uh, relative to the market multiple here. So, you know, I think a good quarter, good guidance. You have the stock breaking out. Okay. Let's move on to Capri. Karen, are you shopping it or dropping it? Remember, of course, this is the company that owns Michael Kors, Versace, and Jimmy Choo. Right. So I've been shopping. I've owned it for a long, long time. And I always say if you go home long, it's as if you would buy it right here at the close. So I think they report on Wednesday. Um, I think we'll see a rebound in Asia that's already started and some here. But I think that there'll be more to come here as people dress a little bit fancier once they start going out more. The other thing about Capri is looking at next year, it's really not expensive. And if you buy at all, this notion of them becoming a luxury conglomerate, it trades nowhere near a luxury conglomerate price. So for all those reasons, I'm a shopper. All right. Nadine, what do you think? Shopping it or dropping it? Capri Holdings. I'm in agreement with Karen here. I'd be putting it in the shopping cart. Uh, so, you know, Ralph Lauren had some strong numbers. We've seen some good numbers coming out of Asia recently. So um, you definitely want to stick with luxury. Uh, that's where, obviously, money's in the pockets of a lot of people. So um, it's been up 26% year-to-date, but we think that there's more to come. Uh, Mr. Tim, do you have a question? Yeah, I, I have a question <laughs> just on pronunciation. Is it, is it Capri or Capri? Yeah. I mean, I, I know it as Capri, and it's, I, Capri's a great I, spot I, in the world. I, to, I, you know, I, I, I was told by Mr. Idol, the CEO, that it is named after that great spot in the world. So it is Capri. Oh, I, look, I didn't mean to correct anyone in public, but I, I had to ask. Yeah, well, you know, that's what that's what uh, the CEO told me. All right. Well, that was a fun game of shop it or drop it. Coming up, it's not Lady Luck. DraftKings heading higher today. So what's behind the big move? We're digging into that trade next. And later, we're trading the builder boom. The home builders back on solid ground after a few rocky weeks. So is there still opportunity here? We'll break ground on that trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of DraftKings topping the tape today. Check out the stock, surging more than 7% and outpacing gains for the rest of the sports betting world. Despite today's gains, shares are still about 35% from their 52-week highs. So, Dan, are you rolling the dice on this trade? What are you making the move today and going forward? Yeah, I think you do roll the dice here. This, this chart, if we have a, a chart since inception, since it went public through a SPAC, look kind of like Bitcoin here. Um, there's been 
four peak to trough declines of about 40% on average, and they've all been good buying opportunities. This is a just a, a secular shift that, that's happening in, in, with sports gambling. These guys are well positioned to do it. They have a great brand. They have great partners. They seem to be focused um, on the right sports here. So to me, I think when you have those sorts of opportunities down 35 45% or so in this name, I think that's where you kind of enter the trade. Karen, what do you think? You a betting woman on this one? Um, well, I don't really like to bet. I think of it more as <laughs> investing, I guess. Um, so I do have MGM, which, you know, it's part reopened, part on, online gaming. And, um, you know, I followed it last year. I followed Barry Diller into the name and they don't usually take billion dollar stakes. They almost never do. I found that interesting. They thought they could really help with their online presence. So I like it. It's not cheap here, though. So, yeah, it's betting now. It's betting. So now it's betting. Okay. All right. Well, coming up, the home builders cranking out some gains today, too, as the group tries to rebuild from a couple rough weeks. One big name in the space is reporting results tomorrow after the bell. So we've got your setup when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Martin Marietta about the company's latest deal to buy Heidelberg Cement's assets. Catch that full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Well, let's check out the XHB Home Builders ETF. Back in the green after two weeks of losses. Despite strong home buyer demand, the builders have been hard hit by rising construction and material costs. So how are you trading the space, Nadine? If I remember correctly, Diana Olick, our colleague, says even lumber prices are costing the average homeowner something like $37,000 more to build a house. So when you're putting all of that together, but with the housing shortage, the shortage in the supply, how do you trade these names? What are you thinking about? I think you're hitting on some really key points, Cartney. And to trade the space, you really have to trade individual names. What we saw out of last Friday were some pretty soft numbers of, for April. We saw housing starts down nine. We saw building permits flat and about existing home sales, I think it was around down three. So that's nothing to get too excited about. Uh, but the most important part here is the high end has been strong. So looking at those who focus on the high end is one area to do. And then, but then on the other side, it was the more, um, the lower end were quite soft. And what's happening here is, yes, there are supply problems, but we're starting to get an affordability problem. Once those prices keep going up, people just say, I can't afford that. And if rates are going to go up um, and have been, obviously, than a year ago, you have to be a little bit more cautious on where a company is focused and also um, who they service. Hmm. Tim, you know, when we heard from Home Depot in Lowe's, obviously, they're sort of in the remodeling, rebuilding group, and they just think that the housing market in that area is on fire. So what does that mean for a home builder? Is there not enough supply to be able to buy, so you have to renovate where you are? Does any of that come into play when you're considering these names? It does. And, and if you're playing the sector, actually, you know, the XHB Home Builder ETF, the top couple names are are William Sonoma and Restoration Hardware, and somewhere in there you have Fortune uh, uh, Home Products and a handful of others like Whirlpool. So the way to play the housing trade to me, where you have a lot more margin, is either in some of the home retailers. Home, home, home Depot and Lowe's are fantastic companies that are crushing it right now. May comps up 30% month to date so far for Home Depot. But 
uh, big runs. I want to see them both pull back a little bit more. And, and, and I think, you know, for me, it's been about train, carrier, uh, HVAC systems, Whirlpool, uh, and then names like Restoration Hard- Hardware uh, and Williams-Sonoma, I think the ways to play it. Karen, what do you make of what's going on in housing and how you would play some of these with a traditional home builder name or some of the remodeling names? The more remodeling, I mean, one that Tim was on that I really like as well is Whirlpool. And we saw they had a just outstanding quarter. The PE multiple is really low. I guess people think we're at peak washing machine. I'm not really sure because <laughs> I think there's going to be legs to this. And, um, you know, they talked about their price input, the raw material costs going up. And yet they were able to uh, price their products higher and actually improve their margins dramatically. So that was a pretty good story. Plus, they have a big Brazil uh, exposure, which hasn't been good, but I believe it will be good in the future. So to me, that's my favorite way to play it. Laundry is, in fact, my favorite chore, so I would make sure that my washing machine was top of the line, and if it broke, that'd be the first thing I'd rebuy. Well, we're going to learn more about the state of the home builders when Toll Brothers reports earnings tomorrow. So let's get to Mike Coe for the setup. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so Toll Brothers is going to be reporting. We saw three times as many calls trading as usual. In fact, calls outpaced puts by more than about two and a half to one. Right now, the options market is implying the stock's going to move about six and a half percent higher or lower by the end of the week. That's exactly in line with the six and a half percent that the company has averaged over the last eight quarters. The most active options were the July 65 calls, but those were actually being sold, not bought. We saw a sale of 465 of those taking place at $1.60. That isn't necessarily bearish. What it could mean is that somebody who is bullish is not overwhelmingly so. So this is likely against a long stock position. Stock traded about $60.60 uh, $60. at the end of the day. So that would still represent about 10% of upside over the course of the next two months if you also incorporate the $0.17 cent dividend they're going to be paying in June. Got it. Thank you, Mike, for setting us up ahead of those earnings. For more options action, be sure to tune in to the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. But coming up next, we've got your final trades. It's already time for final trades. Let's go around the horn. Tim, you're up first. First of all, Courtney, such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining us. And my final trade is DraftKings. Again, this is a story of online sports betting, of iGaming, and really it's a growth story, and that's the story you're chasing. All right, Karen. Yeah, well, let me just echo. Nice to have you here. So good to see you, even though I don't actually see you. But my final trade is Viacom. I bought it higher than here. I bought it lower than here. I like it right here with the rest of her content that we saw from Amazon's supposed deal for MGM tomorrow. So Viacom. Awesome. Nadine. Today I'm looking for protection. So some put options if you own some long tech shares on something like the XLK or the Qs or even on treasuries to in case there's inflation worries. That's what I would do. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad with Jim Cramer starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.